Richard Pothig again now. This chapter four is talking about the games we played on the streets of New York. Growing up in a city neighborhood, friendships were usually formed by the street with which you chose to associate yourself. Friendships were solidified out of the games you played together. The avenues running north and south were main thoroughfares. The heavy traffic on the avenues made it impossible to play any street games. The side streets, the numbered streets, those running east and west, provided the most viable playground. There was not as much traffic, and normally people in the tenements did not own cars to park on the street. Usually there was enough free space to play whatever ball game you could manage to squeeze between the cars. Anyone parking a car during a ball game was urged to find another parking space. When our family made the move to 1582 First Avenue, I was 12 years old. I was now living in new territory, even though we had only moved two streets up the avenue. My options for finding friends was to scout out either 82nd or 83rd Street. I gravitated toward 83rd Street. One of my good friends, Dennis Egan, lived on 83rd Street between 1st and 2nd Avenue. We had been friends since we were five years old. My friendship with Denny, the name we called him, came through my parents. My mother had worked with Denny's mother, Viola, before either of them had married. Denny was the only son of Dan and Viola Egan. Viola, or Odie, as we called her, was a supporter of the family. Dan, her husband, was barely crippled in one of his legs. The Egans lived with Viola's family, the Fuss family, on 83rd Street. This was the same street on which my grandmother and grandfather Pothick lived in a fifth-floor tenement apartment. Denny and I were the same age, so our families got together for outings or park on the beach or visits to the zoo. On weekends, usually Saturday night, Dan and Viola would come over to our apartment for conversation and card games. Viola would bring the kuchen, and we would supply the coffee. I remember from the conversations that Dan Egan was an intellectual. Since he did not work, he spent some of his free time at the New York Public Library. Pinochle was a favorite card game of those times. Whenever you ask old-timers what they did during the Depression, they would inevitably answer, we played Pinochle. As the evening wore on, there was always a growler of beer, pretzels to go along with the card playing and the conversation. A growler was slang for the tin bucket in which the beer was drawn. I never tracked down the derivation, but I guess it came from the noise made by a full stomach of beer. When people were heavily engaged in a pinochle game, I was often sent down to the Delicatessen restaurant next to Carl's Butcher Shop for a bucket of beer. There was no demand for an ID card in those days. They didn't suspect a 12-year-old to put away a half a gallon of beer. Since Denny lived on 83rd Street in a tenement near the west corner of 1st Avenue, 83rd Street became our playground. We met on the corner of 83rd Street after school. We crossed the street to the east side of 1st Avenue since there were more boys who lived on that side of the street. We discovered Joe Sirachek, Milan Kulik, and Joe Windischmann. We were the nucleus of a group which would gather after school. Soon others began coming from other streets in the neighborhood. We gravitated together until we became a loose-knit gang of about 14 to 16 teenagers. 
These included several girls from the neighborhood. One was the sister of Bill Doherty. We were many nationalities. We knew one another's nationality. We were sensitive to other ethnic traditions. We still heard different languages spoken among our friends' parents. Yorkville was called the German neighborhood, but among my friends, I was the only one whose family roots were fully German. Dennis Egan was Irish-German. Billy Howard was Irish-English. Joe Winnishman was Hungarian. Joe Serechek was Austrian. Milan Kulik was Czech. Yaroslav Bartnek was Czech. Eddie Yarazowicz was Russian. Louis Viverka was Hungarian. And Bill Doherty was Irish. The girls were equally as diverse. Eleanor Doherty and Ann Cox were Irish. Eleanor Majewski was Slovak. Mary Barsimian was Armenian. And there was a Czech girl who was Milan Kulik's sweetheart. Milan had met her at Sokol, a Czech version of the Turnverein, the German athletic club in New Yorkville. Milan was to die in a swimming accident at 16 years old. He had an epileptic seizure while swimming. We were not often able to gather the whole contingent together. Street gangs demanded loyalty, and presence was a mark of a tight gang. We were not a tightly organized gang. We were good friends and enjoyed one another's company. In the Philippines, they called such groups barcadas. We were a bacarda, a group of friends who did many things together, but we never demanded loyalty to the gang. One of our underlying strengths was that our families were intact. I never heard any of my friends making disparaging remarks about their family. This may have been a mark of the Depression. Many of the parents were immigrants and had to work hard to keep body and soul together. All families were in the same tight financial situation and had to pull together. We also took account of the younger brothers and sisters among us. On odd occasions, we would bring them along on our outings. This added cohesion to our group. The games we played after school and on Saturday depended on how many people showed up on the block. Most of the games were played with a Spalding. A Spalding was a hollow rubber ball the size of a tennis ball without the fuzz. Spalding was the street name for Spalding, the company whose trademark appeared on the ball. The color of the ball was dull rose. It was prized for street games because of its lively bounce. All the games we played with the Spalding were street variations of baseball. Games were played in innings and were won by who scored the most runs. The games we played varied according to the number of people who straggled into 83rd Street after school. The games also might change as more people gathered. We began with a game of point ball. In some other places in the city, it was called stoop ball. Where stoop ball was played off the edge of the step of a tenement stoop, we played our game off the ledge which stretched along the bottom of an apartment building wall. The game only required four players, two on each side. The object of the game was to hit the Spalding off the point so it would fly into the street or onto the sidewalk or off the tenement wall on the other side of the street. The object of the opposing team was to catch the ball before it hit the street or the sidewalk, or the tenement wall across the street. If the ball hit the street before being caught, it was a double. If it hit the sidewalk across the street, it was a triple. 
If it hit the tenement wall and bounced off without being caught, it was a home run. Outs were scored by ball being caught or by hitting the sidewalk coming off the point on the batter's side of the street. The game was played for nine innings. Each side took their turn hitting the point. The trick of the game was catching the ball off the wall on the other side of the street. The man who played off the wall had to have a sixth sense. There were all kinds of protrusions on the wall across the street. Cornices, signboards, windowsills, and windows. If the ball hit any one of these, it could go off in any direction. I usually played the wall because I was taller and had a longer reach. As we grew older and earned money at different jobs, we would make modest bets on the game. It was a game at which I became very adept. If someone needed some extra change, they played on my side. Sometimes while waiting for the right number to show up, if there were only two or three of us, we would play handball. We needed a wall with fewer protrusions for handball. There was such a wall on the north side of 83rd Street. There was a setback for a garage for one of the businesses on the street. The building wall we played off was was that of the small apostolic church. There was just enough space for a good handball game while we waited for some more people to show up. If you were fortunate to have eight or ten of us gather at any one time, we would put together a game of box ball. Box ball required more space than point ball. It was a game that had to have the elements working for you at the same time. Enough players and a few cars on the street. Since running was required in box ball, parked cars were obstacles to free movement in the game. The game was drawn as a rectangular box with longer distances between home and first base and between second and third base. Short distances, that is, the width of the street, were drawn between first and second base and third and home. The pitcher stood in the middle of the box and pitched the Spalding on one bounce to the batter. The batter slapped the ball with the palm of his hand. There were no strikes or balls in the game. The skill was in fielding the ball. A pitcher, if he were skilled, could put a spin on the Spalding, which made it dance and hampered the batter from getting a clear shot at the ball. Any ball slapped in the air beyond the box or playing field was an out. There was no outfield in box ball. All players crouched in positions within the box ball through tangle, first base, second base, third base, and pitcher. If you had a fifth player, then at shortstop. The length of the game depended on how long you could keep the cars from parking in your box ball field. (laughs) The game for which New York City streets was was best known was stickball. Stickball was most like baseball, played with a spalding and a broomstick, sheared of all its corn bristles. The game needed at least seven players on each side. It was played from a half to a two-thirds of the length of a block, from manhole cover to manhole cover. The manhole cover, or sewer covers, were in the middle of the street. One sewer cover was home plate, and the other was second base. Equal distance between home and second base, first and third base, were drawn on opposite sides of the street. The playing field resembled an elongated diamond. The pitcher stood in the center of the diamond, a few feet forward from first and third base. 
He tossed the Spalding into the batter with one bounce. And pitchers usually were adept at putting a spin on the ball, which would squeak off the batter's stick. The batter took full swings with the broomstick and could be called out on strikes. The most important position in stickball were the outfielders. A good batter could hit the ball far down the street, causing the outfielders to run clear to the cross avenues to make a catch. The hazards of stickball were numerous. Playing the length of the street, a ball could caroom off the side of tenement buildings. You had to be a good outfielder to play a ball off the tenement building. The most disastrous was hitting a ball off the building and breaking a window, or even hitting a ball inside an open window. Needless to say, a stickball game was not appreciated by those living in the tenements, even though their sons might be in the game. Stickball was a game we played only occasionally. We usually did not have enough players to field two teams. Our group was also concerned about breaking windows, since it might be a neighbor's window in the tenement in which we lived. Stickball was also highly competitive. One street would play another street, usually for money. Sometimes street fights would ensue, especially if one of the streets involved in the game had an organized and hostile gang. During my day, 81st Street between 1st and York Avenue had that reputation. This was also the street which was reputed to be the site of the illegal prohibition still and warehouse. The gang leader of 81st Street was a tough named Lang. This was probably his family name. He would lead incursions into other streets with sticks and cans and stones. Potential hostility created by stickball rivalries made the game a target of New York City police. They would cruise the streets looking for stickball games, particularly if they had complaints from people in the tenements. The prized possession of any gang, loosely knit or tightly organized, was its stock of sticks. It took some time to build up a cache of stickball sticks. Your mother expected to keep her broom for a while, I was not willing to part with it, particularly for a stickball game. So to collect enough sticks for the game was a matter of waiting, or walking off with the broom before its time had come. It was not kosher to buy a new broom and to cut off the corn whisks. The stick had to have the true feeling of continual usage. So broomsticks were treasured possessions. During any game, at least two persons were put in charge of guarding the stick. One of the mean practices of the New York police when they broke up a stickball game was to take the sticks and with malice of forethought and obvious pleasure, put them one at a time into one of the holes in the street sewer cover and snap them in half and drop the pieces down into the sewer. In retaliation, New York police who traveled the streets in squad cars were usually Snow White and the two dopes. The movie Snow White was newly in movie theaters and New York police squad cars were white with green trim. The keeper of the sticks had to have a plan beforehand if a squad car was spotted coming down the street. The cry would go up, She's at the cops! That brought prompt action. The bundle of sticks would be grabbed and hustled down into a basement hidden beneath the stairs. Or if the basement door was open, tossed inside the basement. One decoy stick was left behind one which was past its prime for stickball. My worst accident 
playing ball did not take place on the streets of New York, but in Karschutz Park, a place designated for sports, but the sports for which the space was set aside in Karschutz were games tenement kids did not normally play, tennis and volleyball. Since we were tired of being hassled by the police, we decided one day to take our stickball game to Karschutz Park. The park was located at the east end of 84th Street, right up against the East River, the park area used for volleyball and tennis courts. It was a good-sized area, asphalted for a large number of courts. When the nets were not up, it was a passable place for playing ball. The danger was the presence of the pole used for hanging up the nets. We decided to play our stickball game without interruption from the police or fear of breaking any windows. The nets were down, and we chalked in our bases for the game. It was a great fall day, and we were having a lively game. I was playing the outfield. In the late inning, someone drove a long fly through the outfield. I was making a run back for the ball, turned quickly to catch it over my shoulder, and ran head-on into a volleyball post. The impact shattered my glasses and broke them in two. The glass cut deep into my forehead. The blood poured down out of the womb, down my face, and onto my shirt. My friends hustled me over to the emergency room at Missicornia Hospital on East End near 86th Street. The doctor sewed up the gash in my forehead and marveled that none of the glass had cut into my eye. One of my friends went off for my mother. She thought I had been mortally wounded from the description of the accident my friend had brought to her. She was relieved to see me bloody but unbowed ready to stay with point ball, box ball, and handball. Sick transit stick ball. 